You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcast. Just subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 in Lexington, along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And we're coming to you on a uh, rainy Monday night in Lexington, Kentucky. It's only supposed to get worse here with some snow over the next few days. Uh, but the uh, the news right now is hot. It's uh, full of stuff that came out uh, on Monday, just all kinds of things. We're going to start off with uh, Lynn Bowden and UK football, and we got some stuff on Virginia Tech and Associated Press, all SEC teams came out. Uh, and then UK basketball, this uh, kid, this Filipino seven-footer, uh, unofficial visit to UK today, Kai Soto. We'll talk about him and then some other stuff on UK basketball. But let's begin with the big news of the day. Lynn Bowden tweeting out a video announcement that he is going to enter the NFL draft, but he will play in the Belk Bowl. And he ends it with, come see about it in Charlotte. Perfect <laughs> perfect for Lynn Bowden. Yeah, it's cool. It, it was a great video. It was really well done. Um, I thought it was just – I just thought it was a cool a – cool, message to send. I don't think anybody faults him for going to the NFL. I, I think his stock is as high now as it'll ever be. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think anybody would have faulted him and his teammates said they wouldn't uh, if he didn't play in the bowl because he's, you know, he doesn't have anything to prove uh, and he certainly has an investment to protect in his body. If he gets, you know, breaks a leg in this game or tears a, God forbid, tears an ACL, obviously that would cost him some money. So he's risking something here. Um, but, one of the things I tweeted out was I, I totally support guys who sit out. It's not, it doesn't bother me in the least because I've never had, you know, one exhibition game to risk my, you know, two to $10 million body. You know what right. I mean? Like I've never had that. If, if, if you put a suitcase full of, let's say, let's just say $5 million. If you put a suitcase full of $5 million in front of me, and said, I can have it right now, or I could run over uh, hot coals and jump over a pit of vipers to get it. <laughs> like, which right. would I choose? I would just take it right now, even if it meant, like, disappointing some of my friends. Um, so I, I get why people do it, and I don't hold it against them, especially if they're not in the college football playoff. I mean, as much as it means to everybody else, like the fans and everybody, everybody, to win the Belk Bowl and beat Virginia Tech or even the Citrus Bowl and beat Penn State, you're not playing for a national championship. You know, uh, you're not even playing for a conference championship. Um, you do get rings if you win bowl games and all that. I get it. But, like, I just don't hold it against players. Well, that's all to say that it's, it does say something to me that this is a second straight year and the yes. third and the third straight superstar, bona fide superstar player for Kentucky to risk it and play because he wants to play with his teammates, play for his team, play for his coaches. Absolutely says something about the culture that's been built. I mean, Josh Allen, Benny Snell, Lynn Bowden, those are three guys who knew they were going to be drafted relatively high or very high and that there was only risk. There was only only risk in playing in a bowl game, you know, and then the reward of just playing one more time with your guys. 
but it does say something that they see that as a, a worthwhile thing to take on. And, and so I, I think that's kind of cool. Um, I wouldn't, I'd be supportive of it either way, but I think it's cool that he wants to play. And one of the things I tweeted out this morning with Ben, ben Jones, who used to cover Kentucky, yeah. and then, then went to cover Alabama, and now he's back here in grad school at UK. He messaged me and said, hey, you might want to look at this. I don't know if anybody's mentioned it. And so I, I looked up the actual stats. Um, but I tried it, to look this stat up that you're talking about a couple of weeks ago, and I could not find it anywhere. Yeah. I Googled all kinds of combinations. I just couldn't find it. So it, it's unlikely but possible that Lynn Bowden, with a huge game in the bowl game, could break Cam Newton's SEC record for rushing yards by a quarterback and yeah. do it in basically eight games. Yeah. Which is insane. He'd need 239 rushing yards, which I wouldn't even entertain that if he didn't have three 200-yard games already. And if he wasn't just coming <laughs> yeah. off a 284-yard rushing performance. So it's like it's actually not out of the realm of possibility for Lynn Bowden. Cam Newton had 1,473 yards the year he won the Heisman. Johnny Menzel had 1,410 yards the year he won the Heisman. And then Lynn Bowden's sitting on 1,235 this year. Uh, so... You know, hundred and uh, hundred and sixty-six yards rushing would put him ahead of Johnny Menzel, and he'd be number two all time in the SEC among quarterbacks rushing. And two hundred thirty-nine yards would put him. Pa- I mean, one, it would be insane. That would be another legendary performance if he did rush for two hundred thirty-nine yards yeah. against Virginia Tech and that defense and Bud Foster to cap his career, but it would also, the fact that it would, he's at least even the, in the conversation, really in just eight games, of rushing for more yards than any SEC quarterback ever in a season yeah. in, a, in a conference that has had Cam Newton, that has had Johnny Manziel, that has had uh, Tim Tebow, uh, Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State, Dak Prescott, all those guys who rushed for 900 to 1,000 to 12, 13, 1,400 yards, that Lynn Bowden would, is on that list is sort of incredible to me. Yeah, Virginia Tech's defense, uh, run defense, is significantly better than Louisville's. Louisville 13th out of 14 in the ACC at 215 yards game. Virginia Tech 4th at 123 yards game. So they will be a little bit more stingy. And then on top of that, you add you know a mind like Bud Foster and give him three weeks to study how Eddie Grant is doing this with Lynn Bowden. And maybe he's the one that comes up with the answer. Uh, to stop what Bowden's been able to do. Yeah, if anybody's going to shut it down, this is this is the one defense that can. And so that doesn't bode well for any record-breaking performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it's it's a worry for for Kentucky just in general, and in, in terms of being able to win this game, uh, because if they don't have any passing threat, you know, if, if being one-dimensional against a guy like Bud Foster could be tough. Uh, all that said, Virginia. Uh, University of Virginia ran 25 times for 181 yards in, in Virginia Tech's last game and three touchdowns, 7.2 yards a carry. Mm. Um, and yeah. Old, Old Dominion, actually earlier in the season, ran for 202 yards and almost five yards a carry on them. Uh, Duke ran for 234 yards and 5.7 yards per carry. So teams have, a, run, have. have yeah. a, a handful of teams have run the ball on them. Uh, they went a, an incredible stretch where they allowed, starting with Notre Dame in, in, against a, uh, ACC opponents, 106, 63, 53, and 60 yards rushing yeah. uh, in their, all their games leading up to that Virginia game. But it can be done. 
remains to be seen if it will. One, one note about that, about Virginia Tech's defense, Charlie Wiles, who for 26 years has been the defensive line coach at Virginia Tech and been basically Bud Foster's right-hand man. And I kind of wondered, I, I mean, without being plugged into the program anymore, I kind of wondered if when Bud announced he was leaving, if maybe Charlie Wiles will become the defensive coordinator. They actually promoted uh, one of their defensive assistants who had been a running back. Uh, I think he was a running back and then switched to like safety towards the end of his career. I covered his college career, Justin Hamilton. I covered him as a player in college, and wow. now he is the defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. Um, so they will kind of keep that Bud Foster connection, but Charlie Wiles has announced he is um, – leaving the program, and also he's not coaching in the bowl game. Um, so that hurts him a little bit. I mean, he's, so he's, what's, he, he's, what's he doing? I, I, I don't know. I, I actually just announced I, I, he's leaving the program. Yeah, he's just, and it was kind of weird. I, don't, I think in his announcement he didn't think Fuente, Fuente uh, mm. how do you, however you say it. Yeah, Fuente, name. yeah. Mm. Uh, so I don't, know if you know, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, it, it's a, that's a loss for them going into this game because he, he is one of the all-time great defensive line coach. He's coached some legends, several, several uh, All-Americans, uh, a couple, I think two different national player, defensive players of the year, Corey Moore. Um, uh, I'm just one of the maybe guys he names, believed he should have been the defensive coordinator. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, maybe that's maybe that's what it was. Uh, it, it may have been. Yeah, it very well may have been like, hey, you're not going to give this to me, um, mm-hmm. type deal. So um, that that'll be a thing to watch. You know, it does and. You know, I don't know. Is this is Bud Foster all in? Like, I want to go out with a bang, or is Bud Foster kind of checked out? You know, that's the other. That's right. the other question. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he just ready to ride off into the sunset? So, going to be an interesting, super interesting matchup and big time opportunity. I, I do think, you know, regardless of what the details are, if Lynn Bowden and that offense light up Virginia Tech, perception wise, it really validates what they've done offensively. Because people yeah. think of that Virginia Tech defense and Bud Foster as, you know, elite. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, you know, situation there with that defensive line coach leaving, and then you talk about this guy Justin Hamilton getting the job, being named. You know, maybe they give him kind of a a chance to run this game. You know, if if Fuente was not thanked by the defensive line coach who's leaving, and maybe I mean, it's part of the. Uh, this whole thing with you know the Bud Foster, Frank Beamer, uh, what did you say his name was Wiles, Charlie Wiles, yeah, Charlie Wiles, that whole regime, you know, kind of the changing of the guard with Fuente in there, and uh, maybe that's a dynamic that's going on underneath the surface that has uh, led to Bud Foster just going ahead and saying, yeah, I'm, well, thirty three, thirty nine years of coaching is a long time anyway, but. Uh, we'll leave that there and pick up uh, when we come back with uh, Associated Press, All-SEC team, uh, some more on this game against Virginia Tech, uh, some SEC football hires as well. And then uh, later, we'll get to Kai Soto, who was on UK's campus today. Got a, got some information on him just to give you some background on who this kid is, who seemingly all of a sudden came out of nowhere and showed up uh, taking an unofficial visit uh, to UK. So back with more here on the Locked on Kentucky podcast. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, so the Associated Press All-SEC teams announced today. It's a first and second team. Kentucky landed four guys on the first team. Bowden, all-purpose. The last time UK had a first-teamer All-SEC on um, as all-purpose was Randall Cobb. 
who you know Bowden has obviously been compared to quite a bit. That was in 2009 and 2010. Logan Stenberg and Drake Jackson, both first team. It is the first time UK's had an AP All-SEC first team guard in consecutive seasons because last year Bunchy Stallings was a first teamer. The last center uh, before Drake Jackson this year was John Toth in 2016 to make first team. And then Max Duffy, uh, first team as a punter. The last punter was Tim Maste in 2008 to be first team. And that's it. No other Wildcats voted on the first or second team. Those four on the first team. First time UK's had four guys since 2002 on the first team. Uh, Calvin Taylor, Quentin Bohanna, I thought maybe those guys would sneak onto the second team, especially Calvin Taylor, but we didn't see him. Uh, but for UK, you know, a year after Josh Allen wins National Defensive Player of the Year, and um, now you're going to have a Paul Horning Award winner and the Ray Guy Award winner, you would think. Yeah, I, it's the the trophy case, you know, team and individual-wise. I think I think with all these national awards, usually the school gets a replica of the trophy. They they usually send one to the school and one to the player. Um, you know, it's 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 a big deal to be able to have stuff like that. You know, when you take them through that lobby and the in the beautiful yeah. new practice facility, and you say, "Here's our here's our Citrus Bowl trophy, and here's our you know this trophy, and here's all of Josh Allen's National Defensive Player of the Year trophies, and yeah, uh, you know, here's Lynn Bowden's." trophy and you know it, it it's it's an area where kentucky was mighty light uh for a long time i remember the pitiful little trophy case in the nutter field house mm-hmm. uh when we used to the area we used to wait for interviews in the nutter field house that sad old building and that sad little trophy case uh there i, I used to think like how could you even dream of competing with your sec counterparts when you bring people into this and this yeah. is all you got. You got a trophy from 1950, whatever. Um, but now you've got, you know, for one, now now you can, I think you can poke your chest out a little more. It's not as embarrassing to um, say, hey, we claim this national title from 19, was it 1951? Uh, uh, and here's our Sugar Bowl trophy and all yeah. that. When it's not all you got, when you got some more more recent stuff too, you go, and now come around the corner and here's what we've won in the last four years. Um, and you're in this, glittering palace of a facility versus this dumpy old look like a place you'd have a church lock in. Um, (laughs) So it's all significant. It's all a big deal to recruiting. Um, And it's, I mean, also it it is really honestly, I think um, a major feather in the cap of not only Mark Stoops, but all the coaches Um, because we're talking about a guy and, uh, Josh Allen, who was a two-star recruit, and and his own home state school didn't want him. Rutgers right. didn't want him. I mean, and Rutgers and they need all the help stung. they can get. Yeah, um, and and a guy in Benny Snell, who uh, Ohio State didn't want, and he was literally in their backyard. He was ten. He he grew up ten minutes from their campus and was basically begging for an offer. Uh, who becomes a, a, a record-breaking guy and an NFL guy. Uh, and now Lynn Bowden, who same kind of deal for different reasons, but it was a guy that you know somebody had to believe in and support and help him stay on the path to maximize his elite. I mean, he was an elite yeah. talent from day one, but but I I don't have any doubts that if he had gone most other places, I'm sure there are some other places that it would have worked out. But if Lynn Bowden, knowing his story as I do, 
and knowing the connection that those Youngstown-born coaches, Stoops and Merrow had, and, and how invested they were in him and the people that were around him, had he gone just about anywhere else, it would have been a disaster. Because he was very close to going off the rails at early at his time in his time at Kentucky. Yes, and they yeah. they really had to steer him. Um, and so I think all these things when when you take those three guys and their stories and the fact that like for one reason or another, the big time programs didn't want them. You know, the programs in their own state didn't want them, and Kentucky did, and Kentucky nurtured them, and they became national, you know, all Americans and national players of the year or, or at their position or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then going to make millions in the NFL. Forget recruiting. Like just as a, I would think as a coach, that's got to be immensely rewarding too. Just, to, just, to, just in whatever it helps you in in the future. Just right now, it's got to feel like, man, I. This is why I do this. I would. Think. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. To help help young men and mold them into, uh, or help kids and mold them into young men, without a doubt. Yeah. I don't think there's any question if Lynn Bowden had wound up at, you know. Indiana or something where he was once committed or something like that, uh, that, that, that bond wouldn't be as strong. Maybe that trust wouldn't be there. I mean, they can always relate to him with Youngstown. At any time, Vince Marrow and Mark Stoops can relate to him through Youngstown when whatever he's going through. He can't say, you don't know. So, yeah, I know. You know, I grew up there. So, I know. Uh, but speaking of coaches, um, so Lane Kiffin to Ole Miss – <laughs> and the, the video that's out there on Twitter when he lands, get off uh, on the tarmac, and there are just what looks to be thousands of old Miss fans out there, and he's like kissing a baby. I was going to say people baby. thrusting their infants at him. You got to like that. <laughs> and then the guy says to him, "Get a burner phone." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that's that. His advice, yeah, it's on the video. If you just listen, oh, you crank up that video. The guy goes, "Get a burner phone," and Kiffin's just like, "Uh, okay, yeah." And then, oh, that's great. Especially the, with Kiffin's Joey Freshwater uh, dating app persona. <laughs> uh, you know, he's. Uh, it's interesting that they replace, or not replace directly, but the, the school that had to fire Hugh Freeze for calling escort services now ends up with Lane Kiffin, who's got a bit of a reputation as a, as yeah. a, a ladies' man. Uh, it, it's going to be. It's going to be quite something. I'm. I'm thrilled that he's back in the SEC. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And then Georgia offensive line coach uh, goes back to Arkansas where he left under Brett Bielema for Georgia. And, and then when he left, like on the way out, he had, had blocked, you know, the football account because, you know, Bielema had tried to get him to stay and brought the offensive line over there. He's like, no, I'm leaving. And he's got this thing where he's always going, yes, sir. He just <laughs> seems like a complete joke. I'm sure he's a great coach, but – I am very suspect about how that's going to work out. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, he, he is like an elite offensive line coach. Right. Uh, you know, one of the best there is, and he's an interesting personality. But uh, it's also interesting because he's, he's like, yes, sir, or whatever that thing, that, that kind of call that he does uh, on video is very – it's like it's like a natural lead-in to the calling of the hogs, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so that should come pretty naturally to him. But, it, yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting one. To see, yeah, not many people go uh, to position coaches, make jumps from position coaches to head coaches. You know, at major major programs, certainly not in the SEC. 
And then Missouri seems to be doing what the NFL did when it came to Sean McVay. Like anybody connected to Sean McVay must be the next new thing to build programs and get it happening because Scott Satterfield leaves Appalachian State, turns Louisville around in one season, and his replacement, Eli Drinkwitz, has been there one season running the program that Satterfield built, and Missouri takes him and is going to pay him $4 million a year which is more than Barry Odom got. It's just mind-blowing to me that that's the decision you make. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> That seems like a leap. It seems a little desperate to me. I, yeah. I think Stu Mandel, uh, who covers national college football for us at The Athletic, I think it was him that tweeted, like, the, the coaching market is just totally broken because in like in a normal universe, if, if a guy who's coached one year at App State tells you he wants more than $3 million a year, just go <laughs> – Go get another guy. Right. <laughs> like, what, what about the one-year coach of Appalachian State who did it with the players left behind by Scott Satterfield where they, were, they did the exact same thing the last yeah. however many years? Like He just mm-hmm. continued. Yeah, that'd be like Bill Guthridge following up uh, um, Dean Smith yeah. uh, having some success and then being like, I want $10 million a year. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just – I don't know. Essentially, Drinkwitz just didn't screw it up. That's that's what happened. He didn't. And I'm screw not it up. saying he's not even a you know that he's not well, a, he great might be coach, a great coach. But it's just you know, is there enough evidence of that that you pay him for? Like Mark, no. that's what Mark Stoops is making. Yeah, and he's done something. Yes, he has. He sure has. All right, and then uh, before we get to break, right here, we'll circle back around uh, because the line came out. Uh, Kentucky is a three-point underdog uh, to Virginia Tech. So just thought we'd throw that one out there. Uh, We'll come back when we do. We'll talk this Kai Soto from uh, the Philippines and a little UK basketball when the Locked On Kentucky podcast continues. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On Sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com forward slash offers. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. All right, so we see uh, tweeting out today uh, our videos of this, or I mean pictures of the seven foot two 2020 prospect from the Philippines named Kai Soto, who is on UK's campus Monday for an unofficial visit. And he's showing his, uh, he's here with, there with his dad and he's meeting um, Kenny Payne. And then he's got uh, showing photos of like coach Cal on the elliptical and the weight room, uh, just all kinds of different uh, photos that he's tweeting out. But to give you some background on this guy, he's a 17 year old who moved to Atlanta this year. And he plays at the Skills Factory. And he's getting one-on-one training with Chuck Person, like personal sessions with Chuck Person, the former NBA player. Uh, now, he, he burst onto the international basketball scene at the FIBA Under-16 Asian Championships last April. So April of 2018, which was a month before he turned 16. And that tournament, he averaged almost 17 points, 13.5 rebounds, 2.5 blocks a game. In the quarterfinal win over Japan, he had 28 points, 21 rebounds, three block shots, 
the FIBA website article titled 10 Things We Learned from the FIBA Under-16 Asian Championship. Number two on the list was subheadlined, Kai could be the next Yao. The article proclaimed he was the tournament's best player. Uh, so the average height, though, I mean, you think about it, When I heard Philippines, I'm thinking, how is a Filipino seven foot two, seven foot one? Because the average height of a Filipino man is five foot four and a quarter. Right. And for women, it's four, uh, four foot 11. But Kai is the oldest son of a six foot seven pro Filipino basketball player named Irvin Soto. And his father, uh, Irvin, says that Kai is actually projected to grow to be seven foot six. Wow. And and they they spoke, his father did, to Slam Magazine Philippines. Yes, they have one there because that country, if you don't know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard that, um, you know, Daniel Orton played over there for a little while and got kicked out for criticizing um, the, the boxer. What's that boxer's name? Oh, Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, Manny Pacquiao. So... But, but it's a basketball-crazed country. They love basketball. Uh, and so in an interview with uh, Slam um, a year or so ago, he said their plans were to uh, take an offer from one of the European leagues and go play overseas, like become professional, essentially. And so uh, they hired an agency. It's called like East-West um, something, East-West Agency. But... That agency is uh, represented, like Jordan Clarkston was one of their clients. Uh, there's a few other names that you might recognize. But what they do essentially is try to find them the best path to the NBA. And so that's how this meeting got set up with, like, the Skills Academy and how they decided that that was – or the Skills Factory. They decided that that was the best path for them to get Kai to the NBA. So now he's – after having worked with this agency for a couple of years, he is here in the United States playing against other high school teams and is uh, being recruited as a 2020 prospect like Auburn and Georgia Tech and some other schools are interested. But this appears to be the first place he stopped is at Kentucky. And he said something to the effect of when he tweeted out, uh, the bar has been set high, uh, family first, uh, and just I guess the experience at Kentucky was blown away. Yeah, I think he's the first uh, recruit in the Calipari era to live tweet his visit. Uh, I've never seen I've never yeah. seen anybody do this. Yeah. Uh, he tweeted out, "Let the fun begin. Legends begin their lives here." And it's a picture of Kenny Payne talking to him, and I guess his dad uh, in front of a, a graphic on the wall there in the facility. The Kentucky effect. It's got all the NBA guys uh, in one big graphic. Because uh, technically, you know, compliance wise, the NCAA uh, has you know, has rules against publicizing any visit. Now, recruiting services get around that in so many different ways. I don't know how that they could possibly enforce that now, but you know, technically you're not supposed to publicize the visit. Well, well the kid, the kid is. can, nobody, kid nobody can. else can. Okay. The, the UK can't, I mean, UK can't, the school can't, you know, the media, they, they always send out notes to the media not to publicize right. whatever, but the kid can always, kids he often post wants. pictures yeah. after their visits, like the, right. that they were there, but I don't know that I've ever seen a, Many in general, but especially a Kentucky basketball recruit, basically live tweet it. Uh, and, and I assume this is somebody – like the, the interesting thing to me is going to be 
you know, is he going to have an eligibility? If he decides to play college basketball, is he going to have an eligibility issue? Mm-hmm. Because he does have this agency that's been representing him for a couple of years. They built him a website, KZSoto, K-Z-S-O-T-T-O dot com. So he's got his own website. Uh, you know, I, I think he has had some endorsements overseas. I think he's kind of a big deal over there. You know, is is there going to be an issue? Is this going to be a Ennis Canner type of issue? You know, can he get eligible? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what his status is. He's at this strange, I guess, but also high his school, dad the was a pro basketball factory. player. You know what I mean? So if his dad is a pro basketball player and can pay for these things, right? Like pay for the service of having the website built that this, you know, that this agency isn't um, set up that you know that way to benefit directly off of him yeah i'm not saying he definitely can't i'm just saying i think there are some red flags here about whether or not he would actually be able to right and and also whether or not he is actually ultimately going to play college basketball obviously Mm -hmm. he has eyes on being a pro um you know does he does he ultimately just go overseas but but it it's certainly very interesting. The, the the fact that he was live tweeting, he tweeted out this big wall with like an interactive screen where you can touch yeah. different players mm-hmm. uh, where Kenny Payne was giving him a tour and he says, come over here. And he opens the door. It looks like it's a practice gym. Then he live tweets out a picture of uh, John Calipari on an elliptical, <laughs> which I'm sure Cal loved. Uh, mm-hmm. Cal's in his gym clothes huffing away. It, it revealed something that Cal's already thinking about Georgia Tech. Uh, because he's got uh, an iPad on his on his ellip- elliptical, and there is a Georgia Tech game on the screen. If you zoom <laughs> Probably in. looking out for Bubba Parham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and he said, I respect a coach who works with his team on and off the court. Um, he tweeted out another uh, picture of uh, in Cal's office with all the basketballs, commemorative basketballs, and, to, and the list of NBA draft picks. And says actions speak louder than words. So he's obviously impressed and kind of enamored with Kentucky, it seems like. Um, I, beyond the eligibility thing, having watched some clips of him, I have some reservations about how good he actually is, mm-hmm. uh, or, or at least how athletic he is. He looks a, a step slow to me when I see some stuff. Some of the clips of him, he, he looks a little bit lumbering. He's got pretty good feet, but – not real quick feet. Uh, he's got. I think he's got pretty good hands and a nice touch um, for a seven footer, seven two. I guess uh, pretty good shooting touch. But you reminds know, me a little bit of like how Ty Winyard was. Yeah. Know? So I mean, you know, that, that to me is just you know, and even uh, Isaac Humphreys maybe a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those guys were not really impact guys. Uh, at Kentucky, certainly not instant impact guys. And so you just wonder, would there be some struggle there? But I do know, I mean, Calipari has talked about, you know, I want to, someday I want to, you know, get a seven footer who shoots threes from China. You know, he wants to. Exactly. Yes. He's talked about this. He wants to go international. He's had teams. The 2016 team was a totally international team. He had Canadians. uh, He had a scowl from Haiti. He had. Uh, Humphreys from Australia. He had Winyard from New Zealand. I think he had five countries represented on that team. He, he likes doing that. He likes expanding Kentucky's reach across the globe. Um, and so this, you know, this would be an interesting experiment. I, I, I think it'd be cool if they signed a guy like this. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, how serious is he about playing in college? Uh, are there any eligibility issues with his sort of management group and all the, you know, international stuff he's done? Um, 
and is he good enough? I mean, you know, just a, just very plainly, is he good enough uh, to play at Kentucky? I, I, that all is a little unclear to me at this point. But today, it made made today a little more interesting. Gave us something else to talk about. Yeah, and from what I read from um, you know a few different people, uh, you know, NBA people who had had seen him play and had something to say was that they complimented his footwork and how mobile he is at that size, and then if he could continue to progress. Um, then, you know, you think of a Porzingis or something like that. But uh, as far as an Asian star, an Asian basketball star, and I, and I don't mean like Johnny Juzang, who's an American, uh, who has Asian um, heritage. You know, heritage, yeah. For for someone from Asia who's playing over there and made his name first over there to come to Kentucky. That's the kind of connection I think Calipari is seeking and would like to have for UK. Because I, I don't know that um, I, I don't know how big he would be in China necessarily, but just being an Asian player who's already been compared to Yao Ming, uh, that would certainly. Get well, when that, you when you think about there. the populations of those countries, and especially if you ever could get a Chinese star, and that's where Calipari is thinking is. You know, we look at it with some of these, you know, international baseball stars and the and the media hordes that come over, like to to follow them around right. because people back home are just enamored by it. That's, Where's Eric Lindsay going to put them all? Right. That's what that's what you would get. You know, you'd have a whole you'd have a whole section of Asian American or Asian uh, media folks coming over. You know, you'd have to create a whole new media section just to accommodate them all. Especially the student section, especially if it was a Chinese star and, and, you know, you got a billion people, you, you you have a chance to, to make a, make fans of a whole of millions and millions and millions of people um, in another country. And that, that that obviously only benefits your program. Look what it's already done for uh, the little town that Nate Sestina is from. (laughs) Yes, exactly. All UK fans already. All right, well, our time is up. Uh, Tomorrow we'll definitely talk some more U.K. basketball, get into a little bit of this matchup with Georgia Tech. We didn't mention – well, we didn't talk about We did mention Bubba Parham, but, I mean, he's the kid who lit him up last year from VMI, and he's now with Georgia Tech and playing. Um, And then what about Johnny Juzang? Does he start again for the second straight game over Khalil Whitney against Georgia Tech? Uh, those are some of the things that we'll talk about on the next Locked On Kentucky podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. And Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. You are Locked On Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.